Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, BAMS listeners. It is official. I have seen the defense. The defense is confusing, and we are in the wrong play. So I am going to call a little bit of an audible here. Audible at the line of scrimmage. Drew is having some technical issues, and I am going to be wearing both the producer's hat and the host's hat while I try and uh, work his stuff out. But I do have William Redfish Barger on the line, the uh, the third of our, our motley trio. Fish, how you doing this evening, buddy? Well, I'm, I was doing great until I heard your intro there, Thomas. And all I can say is I hope uh, come Saturday at 2.45-ish to 3, uh, that Jalen Hurts is not as confused, as baffled as you seem to be right now. Well, you know, that it happens. <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't been drilled in all of the technical stuff quite enough. I, I'll call me the true freshman producer this evening. <laughs> but, but you know, speaking of Jalen Hurts, there was some, let's just call it wailing and gnashing of teeth, or or some consternation around the fan base surrounding the Alabama offense coming out of the Western Kentucky game. I'm sure you've been asked this question a thousand times, but just a true freshman settling in and the parts around him kind of gelling, or is there something for Bama fans to worry about looking back at the Western Kentucky game? No, I don't think there's anything to worry about at all. And what I've told, uh, you know, different radio shows that I've been on all week long is is this. You know, Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban asked Jalen Hurts to do something last Saturday that he's never been asked to do before, and that's sit in the pocket, read the whole field, and and be a a drop-back pro-style quarterback. I mean, that's just not who he is. I'm not saying that's not who he can become. It's just not something that's ever been asked of him before. I mean, you know, if you go back and, you know, because I've kind of got a unique perspective on this kid. Um, I've been watching him since he was a junior in high school, and – you know, he, he was a true, you know, dual threat zone read quarterback. Um, and what I mean by that is, is you know, his, you know, Thomas, his standard Friday night performance with, with Houston high school football, you know, because I would wake up, um, you know, at midnight on a Friday night and go to the Houston Chronicle and look at what he had done because I, I felt like when he was a junior in high school that he was the best quarterback in the country for his recruiting class. And his standard Friday night performance was, you know, 250 yards passing with two touchdowns, 150 yards rushing with two touchdowns. That was basically, you know, the, the Jalen Hurts resume um, for sophomore, junior, senior year in high school. You know, it was 400 yards of offense with four touchdowns on your average Friday night. You know, some were a lot more than that. There were a few that were a little bit less. But that was kind of the – the par course. And, you know, but you never saw him get the ball snapped to him in the shotgun where he dropped back and, you know, was asked to scan the whole field. Um, And I understand why they did it. It, You know, it was to try and get him, you know, out of his comfort zone. You know, Alabama has 
arguably the the you know one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver cores in the country. I do think that's the the strong point of this offense. So, you know what what they've been tasked with all summer as a coaching staff is you know trying to find the guy, whether it's Cooper Bateman or Blake Barnett or Jalen Hurts or maybe even a healthy David Cornwell to, to find the guy that could get the ball to the playmakers. And you know that's. Lane Kiffin's job. That's why he's making $1.4 million a year. Is, you know, he's done a great job, you know, going back to two years ago with Blake Sims and last year with Jacob Coker at finding that guy that could get the ball into their playmakers' hands. You know, when Blake Sims was the quarterback, it was, you know, hey, where's Amari Cooper? Um, you know, last year it was, you know, hey, how many times can I hand the ball to Derrick Henry? And, oh, by the way, there's Calvin Ridley running uncovered on a deep post. Um, I've got the arm strength to get him the ball. But, no, I, I don't see anything for Alabama fans to panic over from what they saw Saturday. I know a lot of people are scratching their heads and, you know, wondering why the rushing attack hasn't been better for two ball games. But I just don't think that as a coaching staff, they've really made a, a really hard attempt to establish one um, if you go back and watch the Western Kentucky game, somewhere between the first and the third series, you know, the defensive coordinator made the decision to line seven or eight guys up inside the box. And what I mean by the box is from tackle to tackle. And they said, you know, look, if you want to run on us, it's going to be to the outside. You're not coming up the middle. And uh, so, you know, that that was one of the reasons why the running game wasn't there. The other one was, um, you know, you could tell that they wanted Hurts to drop back and read the whole field and go through his progressions. Um, and also, you know, they didn't want to show Old Miss a whole hell of a lot of what they plan on doing. So uh, I don't think there's anything to really worry about. If, if you look at um, the penalties, the drops by a couple of people, um, the, the late throws at certain times by Hurts, I mean, you know, Thomas, they were a whisker biscuit away from having a true freshman quarterback in his first start at home at Bryant-Denny Stadium from throwing for somewhere from 450 yards and having six touchdowns. And, and you know, that was that was something that I pulled from the game, too. As, as much as there was wailing and gnashing of teeth about the thing, the little things, you're absolutely right. Jalen Hurts was within spitting distance of 400 yards. And, and, you know, I do want to get your, your opinion. This is, this is this offensive lineman softball. Do you, with the, with the change from, to Alphonse Taylor, is that a, uh, do you think that's going to stick? Or what do you think, the, particularly the interior of the offensive line is going to look like as Alabama comes into Ole Miss? You know, the, the first thing I would say is, you know, I do think there is a chance – um, you know, when you see Alabama line up for their first play Saturday against Ole Miss on offense, you know, you could see maybe one, maybe two changes from the left guard center to the right guard spot. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but but the second thing is, going back to Hurts for a second, as a quarterback, as a former offensive lineman that, you know, lived through um, – you know, two, you know, heated quarterback battles. You know, the one thing that I think that will bring uh, some continuity both to the offensive line and the offense as a whole is, you know, when and if, and I hope it's this weekend, especially if, if you know, Jalen's able to take care of business, 
But the, the, the biggest thing that will bring continuity to that offensive line is, is once they stop the musical chairs, it's quarterback spot. And what I mean by that is, you know, as an offensive lineman, you know, uh, uh, you know, each quarterback has their own unique way of how they manage the huddle. Um, they, they, they each have, you know, different voice inflictions when they, you know, when you're, you know, over the ball and, and they're snapping it. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the regular snap count um, or if the quarterback decides to audible, um, you know, how, how they do that. You know, it's just nerve-wracking to have two different voices back there behind you and, you know, they're on a different pitch count with their voices. Um, you know, I lived through it with, with you know, uh, uh, 91 with Jay Barker and Danny Woodson. I lived through it again, you know, in, in 93 um, when Jay Barker got hurt and they started bringing in Brian Bergdorf and Freddie Kitchens. It's just nerve-wracking. You just can't ever get, you know, comfortable. And I would say that's, you know, one of the, 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 the main things that you look for as an offensive lineman is, is people don't understand that's the most discombobulated and, and the most confusing places to play on the football field. There is no comfort. So you, you, you start looking for, you know, different places of shelter wherever you can find them. And that's with, you know, hey, this is the guy. This is how he's going to manage the huddle. When we get over the ball, it's, you know, snap counts on two. It's going to be a clear, hard and crisp, you know, hut, hut. Um, and it sounds like, you know, such a minuscule thing, but it's it's a calming presence. And um, I do think whether it's, you know, Jalen Hurts or Blake Barnett or Cooper Bateman or, you know, a healthy David Cornwell, you know, I think we can probably throw, you know, two out of those four guys out of the equation at this point. But but I do think if they will let Jalen Hurts play a whole ball game and not take series away from him, A, it's going to help his development, and it's also going to help the offensive line gel a little bit. And uh, I'm now with you, William. Uh, it's great to hear uh, be with you tonight here on BAMS Radio. Sorry I had a little a technical issue uh, with the equipment. We've got it rolling now, uh, but I, I, I heard you talking about the quarterbacks. And I completely agree with you. I think this is the – uh, what they did last week, I know they played Blake a little bit, but I think they were preparing Jalen for this game this week. And I, honestly, I would be surprised if it's not a solo act with Jalen Hurts going the whole way, it, it, you know, as long as he plays well. Yeah, and, you know, I, I was talking to uh, Martin Houston this afternoon. He was filling in for Ryan Fowler um, in Tuscaloosa. And, you know, Martin and I were, you know, kind of reminiscing a little bit about you know, quarterback battles and, and being in the huddle. And, you know, I, I was I was talking to Martin about, you know, at my, my true freshman year, the fall of 89, and it's something that, you know, Alabama fans, you know, got to experience on one hand, but they really never got to see the magic that I think was fixing to happen to them. And what I mean by that was is I told Martin, um, if I've ever seen a quarterback that I felt like could win the Heisman Trophy, um, under Homer Smith, it's Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, before Jeff Dunn blew his knee out in 89 against Kentucky in the second game of the year, that summer leading up to that, that first game of the season, when we would scrimmage the defense, and, you know, this is an apples and orange comparison because, a uh, you know, a Don Lindsay-led defense is, is not even in the same conversation with a Nick Saban, Jeremy Pruitt-led defense, you know, 
the, the, we were throwing up 70 and 80 points in scrimmages on, on that defense with Jeff Dunn at quarterback because he was a guy, you know, that was six foot four, you know, 225 pounds. He ran a four six forty, And, you know, Homer ran a West Coast offense. You know, he had Kevin Turner at fullback, who was a good pass catcher. He had Lamont Russell at tight end, who was a good receiver. Um, he did not have a Calvin Ridley or an Ardarius Stewart at, at wide receiver. The best wide receiver was Marco Battle, who was more of a, I would say, a Kevin Norwood type. But, man, he would roll. And as an offensive guard, you know, I, I hated it because we had to pull so much. Um, and, and, you know, the, the play-action passes had to look like the runs. And, you know, he loved running the counter tray where the offside guard and tackle would pull. He had a lot of passes off of that. So, you know, we were pulling all the time. And, but man, I'm telling you, Jeff Dunn was, was just magic. I mean, he, he would just, you know. And what that does, you know, on the play side of that, you know, you, you go out there and you attack the force guy who, who ends up, you know, more times than not being the, the play side, strong side linebacker. And, you know, you, you roll the quarterback out and you give them those run pass options. You know, if the guy comes up and, and forces the play, you know, you dump the ball to the tight end of the fullback over his head. If he drops into coverage, you know, the quarterback, Jeff Dunn at the time, you know, would give us, you know, he would say, go, go, go. And that, that gave us the signal, you know, to release downfield and start blocking for him. And that's, that's what I kind of see that they're trying to do with, uh, you know, with Jalen. And I kind of expect that to be maybe the game plan Saturday um, with Ole Miss. Um, you know, you saw Jimbo Fisher's second quarter adjustments, um, you know, against Ole Miss. You know, once they started rolling Francois out, you know, you saw that front for Ole Miss um, get heavy-legged and tired very quickly. And, you know, they do have, you know, at least two, maybe three um, – very good defensive tackles, you know, in Breland Speaks and DJ Jones, Benito Jones, um, you know, guys that are, you know, big-bodied guys that can hold the point of attack, but, you know, they can rush the passer as well. Uh, but, you know, once Jimbo made those second-quarter adjustments and started rolling Francois out, you saw that defensive line become less disruptive um, you saw their tongues hanging out of their mouths, and he wore them out real quickly. And I think that, you know, I was talking to Thomas before you jumped on, Drew, and, you know, I think there's three distinct advantages for Alabama going into this game. You know, the first one being um, this is the first year in the last two years, you know, going back to the, the old Miss wins over Alabama, that they haven't had the whole summer to prepare for Alabama. You know, they had to play Florida State the first game of the year. Um, so, you know, that that's kept them from game planning for Alabama. And, you know, for people that are out there listening and they don't think that goes on, uh, trust me, it goes on. I've, I've been to uh, Alabama practices in August, you know, and I'm not going to name the years, and they were game planning for LSU. So it does go on. Um the second one being, I think it's a huge mismatch for Alabama's defensive line versus Old Miss's offensive line. And the third one being, and I think this is probably the most obvious, is Alabama's wide receivers versus Old Miss's defensive backs. I mean, we're talking about a defense, even though it's only two games into the season, 
that in, in the total defense statistic category, they are 102nd in the country out of 128 teams in total defense. So it's out there for the taking. Um, and I think, you know, if Jalen can just reproduce what he did Saturday versus Western Kentucky, and, you know, albeit I'll take all the delayed throws that you give me as long as he doesn't give the ball to the other team. But I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities early to, you know, drop the ball um, to the wide receivers. And I think by midway through the second quarter for the rest of the game, they can line up and run the ball on these guys whenever they want to. Yeah, William, there's no doubt about that. I I, I think uh, I like the matchup. Uh, I know that they're talking about starting two senior corners against Alabama, but they're going to play the two freshmen quite a bit. And uh, they did not cover against Florida State very well. I know uh, Alabama, uh, they'll probably try to change some things up. But the biggest thing is Alabama's offensive tackles, which, as Coach Saban has said this week, have played well. They've got to get uh, Marcus Haynes blocked. Now, is he a D-end or a D-tackle? He's the defensive end. He's kind of undersized, but he's really their, probably their best pass rusher. Uh, he, he was well, a freshman all SEC last year. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Um, I think that's the, like you just said, Dre, that's the, you know, the, 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 the point of emphasis that Nick Saban has made about this offensive line, you know, only for two games. It's, you know, they're tickled to death with the play of Cam Robinson and Jonah Williams at tackle where, you know, they've still got some issues that they need to work out is, is along that interior, you know, from the left guard center to the right guard spot. And it's like I was telling Thomas before you jumped on, um, I think right now, um, you know, unless you've been at practice after the media period was over with us, um, you know, you could see some changes and then maybe, you know, if not one, maybe two surprises Saturday um, from from the left guard to the right guard spot with the way Alabama lines up versus Ole Miss. It's going to be interesting, William, and your take on that. Uh, Coach Saban admitting uh, that they haven't really decided – uh, at least uh, publicly, uh, he, he's not uh, announcing who's going to start at the guard spot. Uh, a lot of people speculating and reading the tea leaves with what he said yesterday that we might see Shank Taylor at right guard and uh, Ross Piersmaker back at left and Lester Cotton uh, on, on the sidelines. Your thoughts? You know, I've got two different thought processes on that. I mean, number one, I don't understand the, the struggles that Piersmaker has had uh, you know, moving from left guard last year to right guard. I mean, the only difference, um, you know, in that position is the hand that you stick on the ground. All, all the blocking schemes are the same. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the plays play out the same way. Um, you know, I would say this, I, you know, to me, um, you know, in my mind, based on what I've seen, you know, Pierce Baker has struggled the most out of those three guys. Um, you know, yeah. there's been, some, you know, some snap issues with Bozeman at center. But, you know, I'm a big fan of his. He reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the Mike uh, the Mike Remingtons and the, and the Dine Fuelers, you know, of days gone by back at Nebraska in the 80s. He, he reminds me of some of those big, you know, corn-fred Nebraska maulers at offensive line. If he gets his hands on you, it's over. 
Um, you know, Lester Cotton is a mauler in his own right. You know, he, he's a, um, you know, a second-year player over there next to Cam Robinson at left guard. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, Saturday, at least in my mind, you know, Pierce Baker was the weak link of those three guys on the interior. Um, you know, I've seen some, some you know, evidence of him getting beat in pass pro. Um, you know, he, he looks to me at times like he's, uh, you know, not unloading his hips when he's run blocking, he's trying to position block. You know, in my mind, based on what I've seen, that's the weak link. Um, you know, but maybe during their film study, they've noticed some other stuff about, you know, Lester Cotton that I haven't seen. I mean, the only, uh, you know, negative that I saw out of Lester Cotton on Saturday versus Western Kentucky, you know, was on that big, long pass play to Ardarius Stewart. You know, he kind of got caught on a, uh, you know, a nitpick and play where he got his right hand outside of the framework of the shoulders and, you know, uh, suplexed the guy to the ground. And, you know, mm-hmm. That's a 50-50 call if you're, a, you know, you're a referee. I mean, some guys are going to call that, some guys aren't. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It really will, and uh, I, I think uh, I, I've been expecting most of the week that the offensive line would stay the same, that Pierce Baker would be back at right guard, uh, and that uh, and, and that Lester Cotton would stay at. At uh, left, we'll see if that uh, it comes to pass. I do still think this offensive line uh, is going to be a strength before the season uh, ends. They need to play better on the interior. Uh, but Jonah Williams, two straight player of the week, honors by the coaching staff. Uh, Cam Robinson, the first week, second week, last week, uh, you know he had a couple of missed assignments, and I think he got a he got a, a, one penalty. But still, we know that he's a, a proven guy that's been on the road. You have confidence and what he's going to do. But honestly, William, the more I look at this, I know Ole Miss is very dangerous. They've had some injuries, though, uh, with the quarterback Webster being out. We've already talked about that uh, as far as their corners, what they're going to try to do uh, and who they're going to put in the lineup. Uh, but they, they also have lost uh, D.K. Metcalf, who was a young wide receiver, uh, and then they've lost uh, Eric Sweeney. But I, I really don't expect Ole Miss to be able to run the ball in Alabama, but I think probably what they're going to try to do uh, to supplement uh, the passing game and, you know, going taking shots down the field. I would expect a lot of RPOs from Ole Miss, and I think they're probably going to, uh, you know, with Akeem Judd and these running backs, the ones that uh, are get on the field for the Rebels, perhaps Devon Pennymon, the freshman, they may try to get them involved in the passing game. Well, you know, Drew, the way I look at it is this, you know, you know, Hugh Freeze has never really tried to establish a running game since he's been there, number one. Um, number two, if he does try and establish it Saturday, he's trying to establish it, you know, kind of in the same way that uh, Les Miles and Cam Cameron tried to establish Leonard Fournette last year in November versus Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Uh, you know, this ain't the, the, the week to try and do that. So, I think that Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt know what's coming at them. And, you know, again, the onus kind of shifts away from Marlon Humphrey and Anthony Averett this week, and it gets shifted on to, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, Eddie Jackson, and uh, Ronnie Harrison. You know, what, what Chad Kelly really excels at, is doing that zone read fake, you know, where he, he dips his head and dips the ball and he pops up and he likes to hit his tight end who they split out a lot of times into the slot. 
um, talking about Ingram, the tight end. You know, he, his bread and butter is hitting Ingram on seam routes and skinny posts. So, you know, the, the, the nickel and the dime and the safeties for Alabama are really going to have the spotlight on them Saturday. And, uh, you know, again, I think that, that mismatch with their offensive line and Alabama's defensive line, um, how they can diminish, you know, the window that Chad Kelly has to sit there and survey the field, how quickly they can minimize that window, I think, is going to have a lot to do with how the outcome of the game works out. And I know this is going to sound kind of funny. Uh, Chad Kelly is uh, a good athlete and is mobile, but he's not a quick twitch QB, which is really what's given Alabama the problems. I think if Alabama can uh, affect him and get pressure on him, they're going to. I, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm expecting four or five sacks on Saturday. You know, I mean, the, the guy that I I respect the most as far as you know picking games is Phil Steele. Mm-hmm. And right. you know, his 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 pick came out yesterday, and it was thirty-one to thirteen. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of think that might be on the low side a little bit. You know, especially if if you know Lane Kiffin can get Hurts comfortable, um, you know, doing what he does best, which is what you saw him do versus USC versus last weekend versus Western Care. I mean, uh, Western Kentucky. Um. And, and, yes, I do think what you're saying is, is you know, whether the realization of, you know, seven sacks comes to fruition, I do expect a ton of quarterback hurries and pressures. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to duplicate the magic that went on last year where, um, you know, he was basically on his back and threw a ball up that got batted off of the helmet and got caught. You know, it just doesn't get replicated on an annual basis. Um, so, you know, what, what they have from a defensive standpoint, Drew, is what, you know, that they lost their red zone threat, Metcalf. That was the guy that, you know, Kelly was throwing all the jump balls up to in the red zone. He's gone. He broke his foot. So, you know, when they get out there, you know, between the 20s, um, you know, he's going to have to rely on Stringfellow and A.J. Brown and some young, unproven wide receivers who he may not be in a rhythm with at this point, only two games into the season. So I expect to see um, Jeremy Pruitt in Alabama, you know, pin their ears back and, and, you know, put that, you know, nickel and and rabbit package out there to put pressure on them. I expect to see, um, you know, if you do bring blitzes versus uh, Old Miss and Chad Kelly, you better bring them from the outside versus the inside that's where they're going with the football. Well, Fish, I've been promoting your appearances on Twitter, and we have a Twitter question from a fan. And uh, this fan asks, do you think Rob Foster has not fully healed? He doesn't seem the same. What, what do you know about Rob Foster? Um, you know, I, I would compare Robert Foster to the same thing that you're seeing, you know, kind of going on with Alabama's Alabama fans' expectations over Raekwon Davis. Um, you know, Rob Foster was a guy that, that qualified late, or very late in the process. Um, let me be politically correct and say he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, the coaching staff has to make concessions. Um, when he is in the game because he does not understand the full playbook. 
Um, is he a dynamic playmaker once you get the ball in his hand in certain instances? Yes, he is. Uh, but that, that is something for, I think, the fans to, you know, kind of put in the back of their mind is he, he is limited to what he can do on the field versus what the coaching staff asks him to do with the playbook. So um, that's the politically correct response. Um, but, you know, look, they've got, you know, other guys out there that, that aren't limited by the playbook, you know, talking about our Darius and Calvin Ridley, you know, Garrick Dieter, um, you know, some other – O.J. Howard. Um, so, you know, you just have to be patient and let the, um, you know, the enormity of being a starting wide receiver, you know, catch up to the wheelhouse that Robert Foster has in his head and how it can, he can absorb the whole playbook. And I have something to add on Robert Foster. I was talking to a good friend of William and I's who – uh, is uh, close uh, to the team, follows it on a daily basis. Um, one thing with Robert Foster that he did that drew the ire of the coaching staff, he was he did not play much against Southern California and was not targeted, uh, but he was caught uh, on the sidelines, I'm assuming, because he wasn't targeted during the game. But he was watching himself on the scoreboard, I guess, warming up and got hit in the head with the ball. Do what? And Yes, Nick Saban, uh, Nick Saban – uh, was aware of this and went ballistic because, in other words, Robert was not focused and was not paying attention and uh, getting ready to play. And he was uh, in his uh, – so his reps were not, um, let's just say, were, were his role was significantly reduced in the game because he probably might have gone in earlier, especially considering it was a blowout. But I think he drew the ire of Nick Saban for paying more attention to the video board and the Jerry Dome than the game. Well, that so, makes sense. Yeah, and it, it all goes back to your point, William, uh, about them having to make concessions for him. And I guess basically another way to put it, too, and this is with Bo Scarborough as well, is Robert Foster needs to get better at playing without the football, blocking, uh, you know, running his routes hard when he's not the primary target, um, you know, and, and, and just overall being a better all-around football player. He has the ability – it's just always it's always been something holding him back. Now he started to assert himself, as you said, William, last year at the beginning. Had some tough luck with the uh, torn rotator cuff, but really uh, that's just that that's what happened. He just got kind of caught. Uh, he was asleep a little bit at the wheel, and uh, I think he drew the ire of the coaching staff. And so uh, he's now he's having to you know work his way back up. And then Gary Dieter so far. He did have the big drop against Western Kentucky, but as you said, he knows the playbook. He's very smart. He's played a lot of football. He's been blocking very well. Our Darius Stewart has also, and Calvin Ridley, I think, is is a, a lot of what our Darius is doing. I talked to Calvin. He really looks up to our Darius a lot, and he's trying to become a better all-around receiver. And so, I really think right now that's going to be your top three. I'm going to be interested now that they say he's back healthy. Uh, what they try to do with Cameron Sims. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, uh, talking about Cameron Sims, you know, a big body guy that, that the DBs hate covering, you know, you know, when they throw a jump ball, they, they all say, you know, hey, nine times out of ten, he's so big and physical and his hands are so big, Cam Sims comes down with the ball. But piggybacking on what you just said about Robert Foster and, and even Bo Scarborough, Drew, I would even, you know, um, expand on it to – all the people that felt like, you know, they saw the pictures of Raekwon Davis and, you know, you know that that was kind of 
you know, portrayed into an urban legend, and they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to, you know, alleviate the depth problem, you know, along the defensive line. Number one, there was never a defensive line depth problem with this group, um, you know, this season at all. What, what happened was this last year, due to Alabama getting D.J. Petway and Jaron Reed out of junior college, um, they got to stockpile defensive talent, which, you know, that's just not realistic, and it doesn't happen on an annual basis. So, you know, throw out the 2015 defensive line depth. That's just unrealistic, and you shouldn't expect it on an annual basis. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with the depth on the 2016 and, and, you know, Alabama defensive line. Um, you know, we all got spoiled over what happened last year. Um, and, again, you know, Raekwon Davis, you know, falls into, Drew, what you just talked about, that Robert Foster, Bo Scarborough, you know, some of the guys that are, you know, kind of slow to learn the playbook. Um, you know, the first couple of plays that they put him in on Saturday, he didn't deliver a blow. I saw him absorb blows. So, you know, he's not the um, secret elixir for that defense. And they don't need a secret elixir. They've got, you know, three first-round draft picks on the defensive line. they got two first-round draft picks at the linebacker spot and, and three of them back there on the back end. You know, it's the most talented defensive uh, unit in college football. Just let Jeremy Pruitt and Nick Saban figure it out and, and how all those moving parts need to, uh, um, you know, participate Saturday against Ole Miss. And this is something you talked about uh, when Jeremy was at uh, Florida State and at Georgia. And I've been asked about this so far uh, in two games in at Alabama uh, and I think it's true. I think they have simplified the calls. You've made reference to it. You don't see Pruitt over there adjusting uh, and uh, trying to do things at the last minute like Kirby Smart did and sometimes uh, paralysis by analysis. Uh, I really think that what Jeremy Pruitt has brought to this team, I think that's why, they, of course, they dropped weight and wanted them to get faster, but I think they're playing faster because of Jeremy Pruitt's approach. Do you agree? Oh, Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, something that, you know, once Jeremy got away from, you know, Kirby and Nick and he went to Florida State, he did it again uh, for two years at Georgia, um, you know, the first thing that he did was he threw out, you know, uh, the the Metro Atlanta Yellow Pages version of, of Nick's playbook. And he said, you know, I've got to rely, you know, I'm at Florida State. Let's just, you know, go back to 2013. I'm at, I'm at Florida State. Um, you know, I don't have the depth that I had when I was at Alabama. So, um, you know, I've got to play true freshman, you know, especially in the back end of the defense. So what do I have to do to allow these guys to play fast and make quick decisions? First thing he did was he threw, you know, three-quarters of Nick's playbook in the garbage can. Um, I think the same thing, uh, you know, resonated with him when he went to Georgia. And he did the same thing. I mean, you know, for people that don't think that Jeremy Pruitt's an elite defensive coordinator, um, you know, you know, he went to Florida State first year out of the gate. They won a national championship. Uh, the year after he left and he went to Georgia, their defense went from number one in the country to 53rd in the country. Goes to Georgia. 
um, and, and, you know, took over for Todd Grantham, who is a Nick Saban protege that Nick, you know, has a lot of respect for. You know, he took their, their defense from 85th in the country to 16 in, in 2014. Last year, he took them from 16 to 7. So, you know, the guy knows what he's doing. And I think that was the, the his biggest goal in spring practice when he went out there was when he saw what he had to work with, which he is very quick to say, uh, you know, the product that I have to work with at Alabama is very different than I had to work with at Florida State and Georgia. But what he did from the, the get-go was simplify and streamline the the calls from the sideline that a guy like Reuben Foster, you know, that has to get everybody lined up properly. Um, you know, there, there's a call for the D-line, the linebackers, and the secondary every time they line up. And, you know, he's the guy that's responsible for delivering that call. And so what he wanted to do was to streamline and make that very simple so all three levels of the defense could play fast. And I think he's already done that. And I think you've seen that in uh, a small sample size, but in two football games. And I think that's one of the reasons why, William, uh, we've seen very, very few missed assignments in mental eras. Well, what it shows me, Drew, is, is you know, look, you know, I played against, you know, a lot of great defenses when I was at Alabama. Um, but what I've seen out of this bunch is, um, you know, and I, I ran up against this, you know, for people that said to me, oh, you know, uh, Antonio Langham and George Teague were, you know, great defensive backs. Um, and I was like, well, you know, if you only got 2.5 seconds to throw the ball, you know, me and Drew could go play corner. Um, and I think that's what Jeremy has brought to um, Nick Saban and, and what the product is that you're seeing out there on the field right now with the defense is he's streamlined the, the defensive calls and he's narrowed them down. So, you know, guys like Reuben Foster and Ryan Anderson and Marlon Humphrey can get those calls quickly and play fast. And, you know, not only does that make – Alabama's defense look better, but what it does is it makes those guys that are, you know, on the verge of being NFL evaluated players, you know, it makes them look better for the NFL draft, too. It really does, and uh, and now it's going to be interesting to see uh, how all this plays out on Saturday afternoon. And, William, I was checking uh, with someone today. It looks like there is an 80 to 90% chance of rain uh, during the game. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I checked it today, and I thought it got dropped down to 60, which it really doesn't matter. Um, I think, you know, the harder it rains, the, you know, the more it plays into Alabama's favor. Um, you know, a wet ball in Chad Kelly's hands, to me, was more turnovers. But, you know, I, I just don't think, you know, Alabama fans are, are the are the are the most guilty parties in college football. You know, they they look at two games and you know they see this and they see that and they want answers for all that stuff. You know, just sit back and wait. Um, you know, go back to 2014. Um, 
you know, Blake Sims was, you know, not the guy that everybody thought was going to win the job. Uh, you know, via Phil Savage, you know, everybody thought Jay Coker was going to be a one-and-done, uh, you know, college quarterback at Alabama. That didn't work out. Um, you know, last year, um, you know, Coker did a great job with, with what he had on hand, you know, a Heisman Trophy running back. You know, let's just sit back and wait and see what, you know, Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban comes up with. I, I do think they have the recipe in hand to maybe, you know, kind of blow this game out a little bit on Saturday. But, you know, it all hinges on the only weakness I see in this team so far through two games is in the interior of the offensive line. You know, let's just see what Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban draws up for Old Miss with those inadequacies in the interior of the Alabama offensive line. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of how they attack everything. And if uh, I do think that they didn't show a whole lot against Western Kentucky. They wanted Jalen to become more comfortable. Uh, they wanted it to be a passing scrimmage, a flash game, so to speak, to get him comfortable to going on the road. Uh, yet they wanted to run the ball more effectively. I still think – uh, if they pick their spots, uh, especially if they can get this group tired at Ole Miss, as you've already uh, pointed out, William, uh, they don't have a lot of depth. I think Alabama will be able to run the ball later on. And, and really, they didn't uh, get Jalen on the edge uh, with a running game. And I think he can be a factor with his legs and help open that up because they have to account for him uh, in uh, on every down uh, with his mobility. Yeah, and I think you just brought up a great point, Drew. I mean, uh you know, go back to that Western Kentucky game and, you know, just how many times did you see, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts attempt to run a zone read play uh, on, you know, in the run game? And how many times did you see him roll out and do a, you know, moving pocket play, um, you know, when he was going out to pass? I mean, what they did to him Saturday, um, I think it was a, a great thing for his development as a quarterback, but they asked him to do something that he's never been asked to do before, and that was be a pocket passer that reads the whole field. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, that's part of his development as a quarterback. You know, and, and again, you know, we're talking about the most fickle fan base in the country, Drew. You know, based on what he did Saturday, um, if you go to Alabama message boards, you know, people are saying, uh, I thought this guy was supposed to be a dual-threat quarterback. When I see him go to run, it looks like he's running in quicksand. Um, you know, why weren't his decisions quicker? Um, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, he was asked to do something Saturday that he's never been asked to do before. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And uh, I think uh, one thing that gives me uh, confidence as well, you saw it, I saw it. Uh, during the spring and fall, we've seen how well this defense has played uh, in the two weeks, William, and everyone said it was going to be the fastest of the Nick Saban era. We've seen Jalen Hurts make plays against the ones running the football. Uh, so I think uh, that he could have, he could definitely make some plays with his legs on Saturday against this Ole Miss defense, which you've already pointed out, while they're talented, uh, the ratings are what they are. They have not performed all that well up to this point. Well, I'll say this. I mean, they do have, you know, when they're fully rested, 
They do have mm-hmm. a very, very good and active defensive line. But the yeah. back end behind them is very suspect. And I think, you know, if, if Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban, you know, play their cards right, and, you know, they manage that part of, you know, the offense attacking their defense, you know, you could see a, a very nasty and, and you know, tack-turn attack on what they do well versus what they don't do well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I, I, and I, I and like I say, I've, I've uh, been kind of formulating my pick as we wrap it up with you here in this first hour of BAMS Radio all week. And I know you talked about the they have the uh, the, the, the formula and, uh, they, and the recipe to have a chance to blow them out. I think it will be close for most of the football game. I've got Alabama pulling away in the fourth quarter, though, winning 34-17. I just think this Alabama team, when you uh, objectively take a look at it, uh, I think that Alabama is better in all three phases than this Rebel team. Well, you know, the guy that I respect most, you know, out of picking games, Phil Steele. You know, he, he, yeah. he's got it 31-13. to 13. Um, I, I'm totally on board with that, but I do think, um, you know, if Jalen, you know, kind of improves from, you know, USC and Western Kentucky – you know, let's not forget, Drew. Um, you know, we—I I, I talked to Thomas about this before you jumped on. Uh, you know, Jalen was a whisker biscuit away last Saturday from you know throwing for you know 450 yards and six touchdowns. Um, you know, let's just say he splits the difference with that. Uh, I, you know, I do think this game could get away, um, you know, from Old Miss and. You know, you, you could see a an offensive explosion. Um, you know, th- this Alabama team is, you know, a question or two away from the interior guys on the offensive line. Um, you know, Jalen, you know, throwing the ball on time, the receivers catching it on time um, versus penalties taking, you know, explosive plays away from them. From being, you know, one of the most explosive offenses in college football. Yeah, and I think Nick Saban is sending a message to his team. I mean, he even said tonight on his radio show, we haven't earned the reputation that we have this year. He said he wasn't happy with the way the supporting cast played around uh, around uh, around Jalen Hurts last week. Uh, you can't really blame uh, blame him for that. Um, you know, uh, he, he said. Uh, And 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 then I I think he brought up leadership a lot. And I think one of the things I liked is he was quoted as saying, and I know it's been his message to the team after he didn't feel like they were focused going in uh, to the game against Western Kentucky. He said Julio Jones had one of his favorite sayings when Julio Jones told the young player, that's not how we do it around here. And, you know, Drew, I think the the thing to take away from that, that, you know, that that Nick Saban is – you know, really having to, you know, kind of absorb a Jalen Hurts. And I've seen a lot of people complain about this this week, you know, on Alabama message boards, is, you know, now all of a sudden that, you know, Hurts is the guy. You know, people are saying, well, you know, um, it doesn't look like it means anything to him. And I would love to see – I want my quarterback to – you know, look like it's important to him. 
so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like sitting here reading this stuff, and I'm going, well, so you want it to be so important to him that he makes a bad decision and he throws an interception or he fumbles or, you know, what is it that you're talking about? Um, the fact is you've got a true freshman quarterback, you know, through two games, and I understand the sample size is small. Mm-hmm. You've got a true freshman quarterback that through, you know, two college football games is second in the SEC in passing efficiency, and you're still looking for more. Uh, the people that I talk to that look for something like that, and they they tell me I'm looking for something more. I'm like, hey, you go out there and do better. This yeah, this exactly. guy, you know, AJ McCarron's first start in Bryant Denny Stadium. He was a 47 percent passer. I think it was like 14 of 37 for one touchdown and two interceptions. What did Jalen Hurts do Saturday? Yeah, he was 23 of 36 uh, for 287 yards, two touchdowns, and no turnovers. There you go. It should be. And I I just really – I can't wait to see how he reacts in his first road game, uh, a true road game at the University of Alabama. Well, William – we always appreciate the time, man. It's been great having you on for this first hour of BAMS Radio, and we look forward to getting your thoughts next week after Alabama uh, battles the Ole Miss Rebels and then, of course, uh, looks forward to the next two weeks, which should be tune-ups against Kent State and Kentucky, but uh, quite a challenge Saturday. We're really looking forward to it. Thank you for your thoughts tonight. It's been great. Hey, 38-13, to 13, that's my pick. Well, 38-13, to 13, William thinks it's going to be an impressive win for the University of Alabama. Well, uh, we appreciate it. Have a great night, man. I know all of our listeners have really enjoyed it. Yeah, he, he, he popped off a little early. That, that, was, that was great, though, and I'm glad that you have your stuff fixed, Drew. I, I, I have yeah, to say, it was, it, was, it was Thomas Tap dancing there. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. That's all I'll say. Um, your poor yeah. computer is probably still offended from what you called it. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I don't really give a crap. But, I mean, uh, it, it, my brother helped me out, and uh, some settings got a little bit w- wacko there. Um, but we'll see. I, uh, we, we, have an, uh, we also have a late addition to our guest list here. Um, we're going we're gonna to have David Johnson of Rebels 247 also join us uh, for a, just a few minutes, uh, starting off the next hour at 8.05. Uh, we're going to take our quick break here, Thomas and I, for five or six minutes and uh, get the, get ready for the second hour. But we hope you enjoyed William Redfish Barger. We're going to get thoughts from a couple of Ole Miss uh, guys in this hour. Also, uh, got a recruiting segment from John Garcia. But we're going to have David Johnson coming up for about 10 or 15 minutes here uh, in the uh, next uh, segment on uh, the BAMS radio here as we take our five-minute break. Flowers and I'm a hoping for rally. I can see my 
night bams radio hour number two we are going to be joined by a couple of old miss folks a couple of i guess call them beat writers they're going to be getting us ready from the old miss perspective of things for the big game this weekend but uh drew you know solid stuff from fish and uh 
I, I think we are almost all three of us of one mind in this game, but I will say, before I go to get Mr. Johnson on the phone, I don't see it as that big a uh, an Alabama win, but we can talk about that during this hour, too. Yeah, absolutely. We can talk about that, Thomas, and uh, we're going to have David Johnson of uh, of uh, Rebel 247 come on with us. I really appreciate him uh, getting back to me tonight for about, eh, we're going to talk to him for about 12 to 15 minutes, engage his thoughts on this matchup. Uh, I've just been getting messages from people during the break. Uh, it seems like the Ole Miss fans are at a fever pitch. They're really anticipating this matchup with a lot of fervor, thinking they can beat Alabama three years in a row, and they're talented enough to do so. Alabama's going to have to play a good football game, their best football game of the year, uh, to win in Oxford, Mississippi, no doubt about that. But uh, we are going to have David Johnson in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Thomas is working him, working the phone line, and we look forward to speaking with him. Uh, he uh, does a great job for 24-7 sports. We've had several uh, members of that organization and that network on our program, and we look forward uh, to speaking uh, to David Johnson uh, as, uh, as uh, Thomas looks to reach him on our Sunbelt Tents hotline. We hope you enjoyed the first hour as well. Uh, because uh, William Barger had some excellent insight into what he thinks is gonna uh, could happen on Saturday. He does like Alabama uh, in the game and uh, thinks uh, that the, they have an excellent chance uh, to win uh, uh, the football game uh, against Ole Miss, and it's in a heck of a matchup. But this will be as talented a team as Alabama plays all year, really, especially from a quarterback and receiver standpoint, even without D.K. Metcalf. Uh, I think the Alabama fans, uh, need uh, to understand uh, under, understand that uh, that really uh, that uh, this is this is the team that still even though they're young at some of the spots like with an AJ Brown everyone remembers how good he was he was as good a high school wide receiver uh, as I saw last year uh, and that he, I mean he was uh, someone I thought he was really the best I saw in the country he's already had an impact there DK Metcalf was having an impact had a touchdown catch last week, but broke his foot. But they still have Van Jefferson, uh, who is a uh, redshirt freshman from the state of Tennessee. I saw him at a high school combine. Very smooth athlete, uh, a guy with good size, athletic ability. Uh, Demario Stringfellow, who's uh, made a lot of plays with him, and who could forget Quincy Adebayo and what he did last year and uh, what was one of the plays of the game uh, with, uh, with, of course, the bad snap. Uh, Chad Kelly running back, uh, snagging it under heavy pressure, throwing it up. It was tipped up in the air. Adebayo catches it uh, and uh, it is off to the races. So uh, you have to understand this is a team that's still very, very talented. Evan Ingram off to a very strong start, one of the best tight ends in the country. He and You could argue he and O.J. Howard may be uh, the uh, b- uh, best uh, you know, uh, the co- combination, but the two best H-back type tight ends in college football. Um, that's really a push there. Both of them are very good. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see uh, how that goes uh, and uh, where, where, you know, what happens uh, this uh, with uh, them, uh, with uh, this matchup. This is really, really, really uh, fascinating stuff because Alabama, if they can get by this game, the schedule sets up pretty well. Uh, but, again, it's going to be a tall task. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Thomas? Uh, I'm sorry, Drew. I was, I'm still trying to get our caller. What was the question? I can jump in real quick. 
Yeah, I was just I was just gonna say the matchup with the these Alabama wide receivers and the uh, and the Ole Miss DBs, and then the, uh, the real the real fascinating thing for me is despite the injury to DK Metcalf, their wide receivers against Alabama's defensive backs, we've been really impressed with how this Alabama secondary has performed in two weeks. But this group by far, I don't think Al- that Alabama is going to play a better wide receiver group the rest of the season uh, than Ole Miss. I think that's a very legitimate thing. I mean, the uh, I, I kind of I'm with Fish and that you know one on the, one in the trenches da 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 da. I'm with that, but the outside for both teams is going to be really interesting. You know, the Rebels with the loss of Kendarius Webster are in trouble, quite frankly. But I think the strength of the Alabama defense has really shown itself to be the back end, at least so far. You know, a couple of pick sixes and quite frankly, throwing a blanket over folks. And it's going to be a challenge. I mean, Chad Kelly, if, if you look at Alabama's schedule, and this completely ignores the postseason, but if you look at Alabama's schedule right now, Chad Kelly is easily the best quarterback that Alabama's going to play. I mean, Trevor Knight has his warts. We don't even need to talk about the LSU quarterback situation. The next time Josh Dobbs looks impressive as a passer will be the first. And even Auburn's playing musical chairs at the quarterback position. So I, I think it's going to be a heck of a matchup. And you want to talk about being able to cement a first-round grade for a guy like Marlon Humphrey? Putting a good game of film out for this group is, uh, is a big, big deal for him, not just for the season, but for his career moving forward. No doubt. Well, all right, Thomas, we'll let you get uh, David Johnson on the phone. Uh, he's, uh, of course, expecting our call to come on with us for a few minutes, and we look forward to speaking with him. Uh, should be very, very uh, good uh, insight into the Rebels. I uh, was already reading some of his coverage with uh, what he expects to happen uh, with the defensive backs, as we talked about. Uh, they, they look like uh, they're going to play several guys, and they're going to have to because Alabama is very, very talented. Uh, overall, uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how those guys, such as Tony Bridges, uh, who is a who is a senior, how he matches up with with uh, with Calvin Ridley, uh, Garrick Dieter, who I think is on the cusp of just about uh, you know of, of getting getting cranked up and getting it started uh, and, uh, and becoming an integral part of this offense. He's really starting uh, to get comfortable, no doubt about that, and uh, really excited to see. Uh, where that where that goes, it's really going to be interesting to see uh, if you know how this how uh, Ole Miss you know as William said uh, in the first hour that you know Hugh Freeze has never really uh, tried to um, uh, uh, run the football against Alabama. He probably won't try to do it too much Saturday. He'll probably run the football just enough to keep Alabama honest. Team Judd will probably get most of that work considering the injury uh, to Eric Sweeney. And then, of course, Jordan Wilkins being uh, ineligible because of the academic situation. They have a couple of other young running backs. But this is a team, they know what their strength is. Uh, Their strength is uh, the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, no doubt about that. Uh, and uh, they're going to they're going to attack Alabama uh, vertically. I think try to make some big plays down the seams. We saw Chad Kelly do that uh, against Florida State, no doubt about it. Uh, but we're going to have it's going to be very interesting to see 
what all happens uh, with the, with this matchup. And, of course, with the, uh, the Ole Miss defense. Marquise Haynes, we talked about him in the first hour. He's an undersized defensive end, but he is a pass rush terror. Uh, he's as good a pass rusher as Alabama's probably going to see all year. He really gave Florida State some problems. Uh, so Jonah Williams and uh, Cam Robinson are going to have to, you know, be at their best and continue to do uh, to uh, do the job in pass protection. To, and it helps with Jalen Hurts being a good athlete. Uh, but again, sometimes Jalen last week uh, he, he tended to hold on to the ball too long, and uh, he took a couple of sacks. So he is a young player. You want to give him the time uh, to get the to get throws off and to play well. But even though he's a freshman, I do expect uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, to uh, be able to, to do the job uh, and, uh, and be uh, poised uh, on the road. I do think there's a chance that Ole Miss is going to try to rattle him. We remember, uh, uh, even though he was a fifth-year senior, Blake Sims had some issues on the road. Though I did feel like he was a mentally tough guy. He tended to, if they, mistakes were made, he would overlook them and just uh, kind of move on to the next play. And uh, we will see uh, if uh, Jalen Hurts uh, can do that uh, now. But now we are going to go to the Sunbelt Tents hotline and uh, to a first-time guest. And he is, of course, uh, from Rebels 247, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And that is David Johnson. David, uh, good, good evening this evening. Thank you during this busy week for taking a few minutes to join BAMS Radio. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Glad to, glad to do it, guys. Uh, absolutely, David, and it's a, it's an honor to have you on the Sunbelt Tents Hotline. And uh, I was just reading some of your stuff uh, about about uh, first of all this Ole Miss team and defensively how they're going to try to attack Alabama. Uh, and I know it's not the, uh, the, uh, the, the 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 situation they wanted. They had the injury back there uh, to uh, early in the Florida State game. But talk about kind of how they've had to regroup back there in the secondary. Yeah, you know the biggest thing they lost with Ken Webster is the ability to communicate flawlessly in the secondary. Mm -hmm. Webster was their communicator in chief, if you will. He was the guy that made sure that the corners and all the safeties were on the same page with coverage assignments pre-snap and to lose him early in the first quarter against Florida state. Well, it certainly showed up in that game. Since that time, they've been scurrying trying to uh, obviously find a replacement for Webster, as well as get everyone on the same page. Ole Miss has 11 defensive backs on their team. Five of those guys are freshmen. So uh, there is some inexperience back there. There is experience in cornerback. You still have senior Tony Bridges, senior Carlos Davis, but the safeties are where they get young. Uh, Carlos Davis is going to take on that role as, as the traffic cop, if you will, of the Ole Miss secondary to make sure – Everybody is on the same page. But it was a devastating blow. It showed up in how Florida State was able to, to you know, rally and, and come back and win that game. And Ole Miss State in the soft coverage all night long to, to everyone's frustration, including defense coordinator Dave Walmack, who, who told us yesterday, you know, guys, that wasn't the way we coached them up. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and you, know, you get out there, particularly with all the freshmen under the – under the bright lights of a big-time college football team. There's a little bit of pucker factor, I guess, that, that can go into all of that. Uh, there has been a game since the Florida State game. Ole Miss played Wofford last Saturday. Wofford threw the football a grand total of nine times. 
So you don't know any more about this Ole Miss secondary than what you did when the lights went out in Orlando on that Monday night. And uh, that's going to be a, a critical part of this football game. Will they be able to play tighter coverage on Alabama without getting burned? Can, can they play with open communication lines, a clear understanding, and not allow Jalen Hurts to be able to kind of pick them apart underneath, particularly with a target like O.J. Howard. To me, that, that may be one of the you – know, O.J. Howard may play the key role in the game for the Alabama offense. Uh, as far as the Ole Miss defensive fronts being able to stop the Alabama running game, I don't think stop is in their lexicon this week. They want to slow it down. They want to slow it down enough, I really think, uh, for Jalen Hurts to be the guy to have to beat them. And uh, we'll see if they're able to get that done. Ole Miss lost Robert Kimbiji over the offseason, of course, to the NFL draft. But I'm telling you, they're they're loaded for bear up front once again. They've got a couple of NFL future NFL guys in that rotation, and uh, I would expect they'll do do just fine in the defensive trenches. For Ole Miss, is is an issue of how will that secondary perform Saturday against Jalen Hurts and the Alabama offense. Well, David, I completely agree with that Ole Miss front. Alabama just needs to try to to tire them out, uh, kind of like Florida State did. They're very talented. For a half, they were taking it to that old, uh, excuse me, that Seminole offensive line. Uh, I made a comment they were just more physical in the trenches. Uh, Marquise Haynes, we know how good a pass rusher he is, but I, he's back after missing last season. But I don't, I, these Alabama fans, you talked about Kim Dietschy being gone, but they don't need to sleep on Isaac Gross. He's kind of an undersized nose guard there for the Rebels, but uh, he's a whirling dervish. And the, those uh, quick, smaller, quicker defensive linemen have given Alabama troubles in the past. I remember Texas A&M giving Alabama a lot of trouble in the win in 2012 uh, for Johnny Manziel as they put a smaller, quicker guy on Barrett Jones, and it gave him fits for much of the game. Yeah, and and, and it's interesting that you bring up Gross. He's not not a guy that that you'll you'll probably hear CBS talk about first come uh, come Saturday when the game kicks off. Uh, you know, you have D.J. Jones, you have Breland Speech. Both of those guys looked at as future NFL guys. You, you mentioned Marquise Haynes out on the edge. Uh, but Isaac Gross, he, he's kind of the heart and soul of that defensive front. He's a team leader. Yeah, mm-hmm. He's been around here for going on his fifth year. Uh, he is a guy that was a monster uh, in the SEC at 235 pounds before he had the neck injury and missed last year. He's up to 265 now. And he hasn't lost anything on that first step. And uh, he's kind of an interesting changeup that Ole Miss will throw in uh, at the zero technique, at the nose tackle. Uh, you know, your center is sitting there, and he's been being beaten to death by a 320-pound nose tackle. And then all of a sudden you look across, and it's Isaac Gross who has the speed of, of a linebacker lined up at the nose tackle, and he is tenacious. You're exactly right. Uh, watch for him to show up. If he shows up in that Alabama backfield some in this game early Saturday, you'll know Ole Miss is accomplishing what they want to accomplish with their defensive front. If you don't hear his name called, I'd probably say things are going Alabama's way. Yeah, and uh, I know Alabama did not run the ball the way they wanted to the first two weeks, especially last week against Western Kentucky. Uh, but Ole Miss the same way. Uh, though Hugh Freeze has never had a dominant running game uh, for the Rebels, uh, but they did lose Eric Sweeney, who I know they were really looking forward to getting him more and more involved this year. Uh, he had to redshirt the year before after getting injured. Uh, but just yeah, now that we've what we've seen what the unfold with this Ole Miss uh, running game, uh, David, I, I'm assuming we're going to see a lot of Akeem Judd 
who else might we see in that backfield now that Wilkins, of course, is also academically ineligible? Yeah, I've got the sneaky suspicion Ole Miss's best running threat Saturday against Alabama will be Chad Kelly. Uh, mm. they, they've kind of kind of throttled Kelly down these first two games, and you haven't seen him run a lot. He's, he's only got 17 rushing yards uh, through the first two games. But with that said, everyone knows Kelly is, is a, a threat with his legs. He can make things happen. I think you see them turn him loose. On Saturday, wouldn't surprise me if he ended up uh, as Ole Miss's leading rusher. That's not a knock on Akeem Judd. That's just the way the Ole Miss offense is built. Uh, you're not going to see a running back get 25 carries and, and average four and a half yards and run for 125 in this Ole Miss offense. Uh, you know, uh, their top carrier, as far as running backs go, probably going to have 10 to 12 carries somewhere along those lines. Cat Kelly's going to be the guy that that Bama probably needs to be most aware of on the ground. And, and there's not a lot of depth behind Akeem Judd. Uh, you, you probably have less than 30 carries on the team behind Akeem Judd because, as you mentioned, Eric Sweeney goes down against Florida State with the torn ACL on the first carry of his college career. And then, of course, they mm. lost Wilkins, who was a junior for this entire semester due to an, an explicable administrative academic error that was of no ma- making of the young man's uh, – it wasn't his fault at all. And that was their number two and their number three running backs. They're no longer on the roster. Yeah, and then, so might we see a young player? I, I was impressed with them during the recruiting process. Do you think they would trust someone like Devon Pennymon to play a few snaps? You know, Pennymon carried about six times against Wofford for 13 yards. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm all for – playing true freshmen if they're ready. I don't know that Devon Penamon is ready for a primetime game like this right now. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think you may see him get some carries just as, as, as you know, spelling Judd or, or junior Eugene Braisley, who is a little bit like uh, Jalen Walton, a scat back type of running back. That's probably not a threat to do much between the tackles, but could be a, be dangerous on the edge, but uh, to answer your question, I guess the short answer is no. I don't think you'll see a lot of Devon Penamon on Saturday. And then, David, uh, overall, just your thoughts on this Ole Miss offense. I know it was, it was big losing DK Metcalf. We were talking about it before you came on. Still, I believe the deepest wide receiver group Alabama will see all year uh, with Adebayo, uh with Stringfellow. Uh, with, you know, uh, with A.J. Brown, who I loved in the recruiting process, and then Van Jefferson. I've been impressed with what I've seen with him. But just kind of talk about that matchup. I think it's uh, beside the game's going to be won inside out in the line at the line of scrimmage. Ultimately, uh, with that Alabama, the 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 inexperience uh, of the uh, interior of the offensive line against that uh, uh, interior defensive line of Ole Miss, in my opinion. But still fascinating to watch these Alabama defensive backs go up against. Uh, these old Miss receivers, even without Metcalf, still a very deep group. Yeah, and, and I'll start off with Metcalf. I'll, I'll tell you this much. What we saw DK Metcalf do in the first couple of ball games, some of the catches he made, where he was just absolutely out physicaling defensive backs at the point of attack. Um, you don't see a true freshman playing in his very first game do that to a secondary ex- as experienced as Florida State's, as, as talented as Florida State's. Uh, he, he did the same thing Saturday against Wofford. Actually caught two touchdown passes. One was called back, then broke the toe in his foot on, on a second touchdown catch. 
this kid is going to be phenomenal. I watched Laquan Treadwell come through Ole Miss and play as a true freshman, and I will say this. Laquan Treadwell was not the physical specimen that D.K. Metcalf was in his first two games as a true freshman. So I think the future is very, very bright uh, for D.K. Metcalf. Uh, as far as the rest of those guys, absolutely. There, there's pro talent in the Ole Miss receiver corps. Uh, when you talk about a guy like Stringfellow, A.J. Brown, the other true freshman you mentioned, uh, Quincy Adeboyjo, very serviceable. The tight end, Evan Ingram. They've been able to use Ingram to exploit Bama in the past on a couple of long mm-hmm. pass plays that really hatched out of mismatches where uh, Ole Miss would catch uh, Alabama trying to cover Evan Ingram, who is honestly just a big outside edge receiver, lined up at tight end, and they're trying to cover him with a linebacker, and they'll go vertical with that if they catch that matchup out there on Saturday. So, uh, you know, I would say key on Evan Ingram. Uh, you know, let's see how Alabama decides they're going to cover Evan Ingram. Uh, and, uh, you know, the edge receivers, again, DeMaurier Strangfellow, he's a lot like Laquan Treadwell, not saying that he is the player Treadwell was, but uh, he's got that big physical body and get up high. Another kid, a sophomore, DeMarcus Lodge, who was a big force oh, yeah. through Texas. Uh, he's starting to come around a little bit more, too. Markel Pat, a junior, uh, is starting to kind of assert himself. He had over 30 catches last year. So they've got plenty of pass catchers on that roster, that is for sure. Uh, you know, so obviously they're going to they're gonna test the Alabama secondary. They're going to see what's there. And uh, it's really an intriguing matchup on paper. I mean, I think, you know, after having the two-game sample from each team, I think right now you would have to say Alabama is probably the better football team. Uh, but as we've seen the last couple of years, I think going into each of those two games, uh, most people would have said Alabama is the better football team. And and oftentimes that, that doesn't necessarily dictate who's going to win this game. Uh, I would expect it to be a very emotional game. I know they haven't talked about, about it very much uh, in Tuscaloosa in terms of it, it being – a red-letter game or a revenge game or anything like that. But you got to feel like inside the locker room, inside the coaching staff, uh, this one means a little bit something extra to the tide. And, of course, it means everything to Ole Miss. Uh, you know, Ole Miss is, has kind of surged and built a, a trademark here in the last couple of years of being a rising program on the national scene. And much of that is attributed to the two victories over Alabama. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, Hugh Freeze is trying to do something no one's done in the SEC, beat Nick Saban uh, three straight times. And you're right, David, Ole Miss was the underdog the last two years, but they won the turnover battle and uh, won the football game. And with this, we could have some inclement weather. I think, once again, it's going to come down to which team protects the football. Last year, Chad Kelly did so uh, and had an outstanding game, really his arrival game at Ole Miss as a quarterback, and then went on to have a very, very good season. Well, against Florida State, he had the four turnovers. Uh, he's going to have to protect the ball because, really, as you've already said, you expect him to be the leading rusher. The the whole game plan is going to come down on his shoulders, really, Saturday to perform uh, and beat this Alabama defense. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you, you bring up a good point about the, the – there seems to be a stronger possibility now of inclement weather for this game. And, and – and, It'll be interesting to see how the turf holds up at Bald Hemingway Stadium. You've got to remember, this stuff has only been on the ground for a little over a month. And it, wow. it, it's never never had a game played on it in rain. Now, I was out there walking it last Saturday. I mean, looks strong. Looks like it's been there 100 years. But, you know, you'll never know what's underneath the surface. And, and 
I'm sure they did a great job with it, but it will be interesting to see if it's rain uh, and if it's heavy rain and, and the game is played in, in wet conditions, uh, if that turf, that natural grass surface for the first time since 2003 back in Oxford, uh, how it will hold up. Yeah, absolutely. And then as we wrap up with you, David, and we really appreciate your few minutes here on BAMS Radio, uh, as you're getting a feel for this, uh, uh, how do you see this matchup uh, right now? Because I know Ole Miss has got to still be having a lot of confidence. I know they didn't get the result they wanted against FSU, but they did lead 28-6. to They've got to feel like if they cleaned up their mistakes, they could have easily won that game. And, again, with their success the last two years against Alabama, they've got to have quiet confidence and, uh, that they can get the job done again. Yeah, I've, I've got to make a pick on this from a site in the morning, and uh, I've been ah. wrestling with it all week, and I've been swaying back. Um, I expect it to be a close affair, and, and, I, and mm-hmm. I think the only way Ole Miss wins this game is if they can drag Alabama into some deep water late in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and I think that is a possibility. But at the same time, I, I don't have any evidence post the second half of the Florida State game that the Rebels have been able to improve their secondary play. And when you look at Jalen Hurts as a quarterback, boy, he reminds me a whole lot of Florida State quarterback DeAndre Francois. Uh, they're, they're, they're very similar in a whole lot of ways, guys. And, uh, you know, I could see a replay of that if, uh, if Ole Miss hasn't tightened the bolts in, in, in on the back end of their defense. Um, i got to sleep on that real hard tonight because I – I honestly have, have, have not come to a definitive, and I'm not Nostradamus by any stretch, but <laughs> I haven't come to a definitive uh, uh, agreement amongst the voices in my head. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, and I don't blame you. I mean, uh, it, it, if Chad Kelly plays uh, the way he did a season ago, if Alabama doesn't protect the ball, and again, Alabama has unknowns as well, uh, David, because Jalen Hurts uh, has uh, only uh, started one game uh, he came off the bench in a neutral uh, tight situation in Dallas against USC. He has not played in a true road game yet, so we really don't know what to expect out of Jalen Hurts either. We know Alabama has an excellent supporting cast. I do think uh, that, uh, that Alabama will run the ball better this week, though uh, there is some uncertainty also with who Alabama is going to start at guard uh, in the game We uh, as far as the, the combination there. So there's unknowns on Alabama's side as well as to how they're going to uh, play this game in Oxford. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I, I guess that's why, uh, I, you know, I saw the Oxford Police Department uh, tweeted out today uh, there's going to be an extra 130,000 people in Oxford on Saturday for this game. Uh, and obviously the stadium only holds half that much, which, by the way, this game will be played in front of the largest crowd to ever watch a college football game inside the state of Mississippi uh, with the newly expanded Bald Hemingway Stadium. Uh, but Oxford's a town of about 24,000, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they swallow up that 130,000 expected in town for the game on Saturday. There will be just as many people in the Grove as inside the stadium while the game's going on. should be a wild, wild scene. Should really be a wild scene. And, David, man, we really appreciate the time. Let everybody know who's listening uh, where they can read your stuff because they can get the uh, other perspective from Oxford, Mississippi, at your outstanding website, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Yeah, you can, you can follow me on Twitter, at Rebels247. Our website is OleMiss.247Sports.com. And, guys, thank you for having me on, and uh, be glad to come back on anytime with you. 
Thank you, David, man. We really appreciate it. We know it's a busy time, and uh, our listeners really do as well, hearing your perspective and uh, a lot of the insight from covering the Rebels. Have a great night, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you a lot. That's David Johnson of Rebels 24-7. The uh, the, He does a great job as editor and publisher of that website. Uh, And and if you want to get the the scoop on the Rebels, check them out at Rebels 24-7 Sports. And as he said, it's going to be – the largest crowd in the history of the state of Mississippi. And now uh, we're working our next guest on the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Sunbelt Tents hotline, and it will be Richard Cross. Uh, he's a, an outst- a great friend of mine, uh, known him for a while. He's been a, a guest a couple of times on my show, Talking Ball. And uh, he, his, uh, his daily radio program uh, with uh, Matt Wyatt, really, along with Bo Bounds, the two most preeminent radio shows in uh, the state of Mississippi. Uh, really uh, enjoy uh, that show. He, he does an outstanding job, and we look forward to having him on as, uh, is just, in just a couple of minutes. And he also is the sideline reporter for the IMG Ole Miss Sports Radio Network, uh, but he's part of the Super Talk Miss, uh, Mississippi, head-to-head on Super Talk Mississippi with uh, former Mississippi State quarterback Matt Wyatt. I uh, was able to reconnect with him uh, down in Hoover uh, for uh, SEC Media Days, and we are going to now go to the Sun Belt Tents hotline and join Richard Cross. Richard, I really appreciate the few minutes tonight. I know it's a busy time, but thank you for joining us on BAM's radio tonight. Hey, Drew. Just got my little boy to bed, so I'm good to go. Thank you, sir. And uh, I know this is so we just got through talking to David Johnson of Rebels 24-7 Sports. He's still kind of wrestling with this game uh, as far as the way he thinks it's going to go. He does uh, agree that most people are are favoring Alabama, and he can understand why. But I think he expects a strong effort from the Rebels. And I know they didn't get the result uh, they wanted against Florida State, but you still saw the potential of this offense. I know they got the injury to D.K. Metcalf but still a lot of playmakers uh, on that Ole Miss sideline. Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. And, you know, I mean, the that first half against Florida State was a, it was a clinic offensively. Now, there were some things that went against mm-hmm. Florida State. Ole Miss's defense made some big plays that, you know, caused Florida State to have to settle for an early field goal and or a couple of early field goals. And then you had that freak play where Dalvin Cook, you know, dropped the ball where he was headed into the end zone with nobody in front of him which would have made the score look a little bit differently. But from an execution standpoint, Ole Miss was, was pretty good. You know, Chad Kelly had a couple of throws that I didn't think were his best, um, I guess an early interception. And then, you know, the touchdown pass that he had to DK Metcalf, he actually underthrew a little bit. Metcalf made an incredible play on the ball there. But all in all, I, I think you got a glimpse of what Ole Miss can be offensively when quarterback wide receivers are in sync and they're going fast. Now, the mm-hmm. downside of playing as fast as they did is you look up at the end of the game, especially with the way the second half played out, and you see a 43- to 17-minute time of possession advantage for, for Florida State. And, you know, regardless of how good Ole Miss is defensively, you can't ask those defensive linemen to be on, to be on the field for 43 minutes in a ball game and expect them to be able to make big-time stops in the second half. And Florida State made some adjustments. You know, the the second half, to me, it wasn't just about how good Florida State was. And I don't say that at all to take away anything from them. They were fantastic. Francois was fantastic. But Ole Miss also turned it over, what, two times in a row. And, you know, that you know they, they go interception and then fumble and then three and out, three and out. And it's like the entire game is blowing up on them. 
so yeah, I mean, I, I think you get a glimpse of what they can be offensively, and you know, kind of uh, maybe jumping ahead here, but it kind of takes you toward I think the biggest key in the ball game for Ole Miss against Alabama on Saturday. They've got to protect the football. Alabama is just not a team that you can give extra possessions or extra opportunities to. And that's what's been the key, Richard, in uh, in Ole Miss winning uh, the last two football games against Alabama. They've been able to win yeah. the turnover battle last year five to none. To uh, five uh, to nil, Alabama did not, uh, you know, force any turnovers from Ole Miss. Now uh, there were a couple of fortunate bounces in that game, but that's football. Uh, and I really thought it was Chad Kelly's coming out party. Uh, Alabama uh, was sloppy, had a couple of fumbles on kickoff returns. You really don't see that, but they did. And then the year before, Alabama uh, had had a few turnovers, and Ole Miss for the most part protected the ball. Your thoughts, though, on uh, what? on what we might see, because I remember the game two years ago in Oxford, it seemed uh, that Hugh Freeze, he's always been a tempo guy. He kind of slowed everything down and did not play, uh, try to play fast against Alabama. Uh, Do you expect them to try to play at a tempo uh, quite a bit on Saturday, even if they have inclement weather? Yeah, I think they'll mix it up a little bit. I mean, you know, the forecast has been all over the place. I, I think on right. Sunday afternoon or Monday it was 65%, and then it was up to 80%, and then yesterday it was down to a 20% chance of rain. And, you know, depending on which weather service you look at today, it's either, you know, a 60% chance or an 80% chance. I don't think you're looking at, at biblical flooding, though, in Oxford on Saturday. And and right. barring that, I think both teams will just try to do what they want to do. I mean, if, if you get rain where it's just downpours and it's blowing sideways, then, then maybe that changes the game plan for both teams a little bit. But you know, I don't get the indication or, or the impression that that's what we're looking at from a weather standpoint. I think Ole Miss wants to go fast. And the biggest reason they want to go fast is because that is when they are best offensively. Uh, you know, it, and it's less even about substitutions anymore. I think this offense has the ability, though, to get in a rhythm when they're going right. quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it's 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 just different when you're huddling up or even if you're going to the line and standing around for 15 seconds, getting a play signal in from the sideline and, you know, coming set and then pulling up and looking to the sideline again to see if you want to change the play. I don't think that is where Ole Miss is its most comfortable. I think they are at their most comfortable when they're playing fast, which means snap it and, you know, get back to the line and do it again. The the thing is, if you're going to do that, you, you and this sounds so cliche, but you got to stay on schedule. I mean, if you want to go tempo, you got to get three or four yards on first down and, and you got to have second and manageable because if, and let's say you go tempo and you're on a screen play on first down and it gets blown up and now you've got second and 13. Well, you know, you're going to get a different look from the defense now and if you go incomplete pass on second down, now it's third and 13, and you're looking at, at a situation where you just ran three plays and took 28 seconds off the clock. That's not going to work. Yeah, it really isn't. And they're going to have to sustain drives against Alabama, but play fast and, and get Chad Kelly in a rhythm. David Johnson believes, uh, especially with the loss of Eric Sweeney, uh, in, uh, with this uh, running inexperience at the running back position besides Akeem Judd, they haven't run Chad Kelly a lot. He thinks there's a very good chance he will be uh, the leading rusher Saturday, and they're going to run him more. Do you agree with that? That could be the case. Uh, to me, though, the well, let me back up. Yes, uh, I, I don't disagree with that sentiment. I thought mm-hmm. at the end of last season, Chad was really effective, not only running the ball on design plays, but also knowing 
win and the read option stuff to pull it, and he, and he made all the right reads. And then to take it a step farther, he had really good pocket awareness. And so when things were collapsing around him, you saw several times over the last three or four games of the season where he kind of ducked and then rolled out of a defensive tackle or defensive end or linebacker that was trying to wrap his arms around him and then was able to extend the play either to throw it or to try and, you know, pick up a first down or or pick up a few yards down the field. Um, I thought against Florida State that they did a really nice job with athletic, fast, quick, defensive players keeping Chad Kelly from being able to rip off that 15- or 18-yard run that that really kind of Mm -hmm. gives the offense some momentum. And the thing that jumps out to me about this Alabama defense, as good as they were a year ago, I think they're faster this year. Uh, And so, you know, speed speed on the defensive side, I think, can be the great neutralizer. And, you know, everybody wants to talk about Alabama's front four with good reason. And they want to talk about Reuben Foster at linebacker with good reason. I look at those guys in the back end of the defense, Marlon Humphrey and Mika Fitzpatrick and and Eddie Jackson. To me, that's the part of that defense for Alabama that, that kind of leaves your jaw hanging when you look at some of the speed. And, you know, like an Eddie Jackson, he comes up with an interception and it's not okay, he's going down to get the offense back. It's how quickly can he get to the end zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's done a heck of a job in two years uh, transitioning uh, to free safety and being a playmaker back there with the ball in his hands, Richard. That's the thing that yeah. I'm most fascinated by. Now, I know the game will be won inside out, and Alabama's offensive line is going to have to perform uh, against a very athletic uh, you know, Ole Miss defensive front, uh, especially Marquise Haynes and Isaac Gross. And I talked to David about Isaac Gross, who – a lot of people aren't talking about in this game, but he can be the Kim Dietschy this year. He's very disruptive. Uh, he's an undersized guy, still at 265, but a very quick first step. The kind of guys that have given Alabama trouble, especially with some inexperience and, uh, and, and really, quite frankly, not performing as well on the interior offensive line. But the most fascinating thing to me is to watch those Alabama guys in the secondary. I think, that, I think you, you're going to see two or three first-round draft picks going up against a very deep, Ole Miss group, even without D.K. Metcalf. Yeah, I mean, they're going to run seven receivers out there with you. And I want to back up just a second, and I'm not picking your words apart, but I think you're you're selling the Ole Miss defensive line short if you just go with athletic and, and you mention those two guys that you did. You know, and Marquis Saines, who is as explosive off the edge as anybody, and, and then Isaac Gross, who does create kind of a mismatch. But to me – Kind of the the most important part of this of this Ole Miss defensive line, and I think the most important matchup in this game. And yeah, feel free to disagree with me; it's fine. It's the Ole Miss defensive tackles, of which Isaac Gross is one, kind of lining up at the nose. Yes. But also Breland Speaks, who's now a sophomore, DJ Jones, who's a, a JUCO guy that really's kind of kind of settled in, and then a true freshman in, in Benito Jones, who's you know either playing the nose or the tackle. And he's kind of got that first step like Isaac Gross, but he's more like defensive tackle nose guard, si- guard size that you right. expect at 300 pounds. They're nasty on that defensive line. And, you oh, know, yeah. outside of Alabama, maybe Texas A&M, I'd put that defensive line group against anybody in the SEC. So, so again, I'm not disagreeing with your point about the athleticism. Certainly that's there. But it's more than just, oh, wow, that's some, some quick guys that are undersized on the defensive line. And, you know, to oh, your no. point about receivers, there's a lot of weapons out there. Um, you know, probably starts, you know, when you look at an older guy with DeMario Stringfellow, is pretty physical. A.J. Brown is a true freshman. Is Guys, you're going to look out there and you're going to think that's Laquan Treadwell as a junior 
at least from a body type. I'm not saying he's the complete receiver that Laquan Treadwell was last year in his junior year, but he wears number one. He's 6'1", so he's about an inch and a half or two inches shorter, but he's heavier than Laquan was, and he makes incredible plays. Oh, yeah, he does. He was the best uh, high school wide receiver I saw last year. I knew he'd be an impact guy for the And, again, I agree with you. Uh, I, I wasn't shortchanging the rest of that defensive line group. Sure. Just talking about a couple guys that are going to be disruptive. But you're right. Breland Speaks is a definite force. D.J. Jones is someone Alabama wanted badly out of East Mississippi. Uh, he's a very good player. And they wanted Benito Jones, who was a one-time Alabama commitment. So, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that uh, the – Overall, as I've said, this uh, this uh, Ole Miss D-line and then the wide receiver group, Alabama won't see a better one all year on a team uh, on these two uh, units for Ole Miss. I think uh, Ole Miss's uh, biggest advantage in the game right now, depending on how that Alabama interior offensive line plays, is that uh, uh, D-line group against Alabama's uh, offensive line and the, and the ability to slow down the run and put more pressure on uh, Jalen Hurts. And then I do think it's almost a push between the Alabama defensive backs and the wide receivers because Ole Miss is so deep there. Uh, the game is going to be won or lost to me. Alabama is going to have to make plays against this Ole Miss secondary without their Webster, their best corner, and they're going to have to play a couple of freshmen along with some seniors. But they're going to have to give Jalen Hurts time. If they do, I think Hurts has a lot of poise. Of course, but we still don't know. He's a true freshman that's never had to play in his hostile environment as he's going to see on Saturday afternoon. But if he can uh, protect the football, I think there's going to be plays to be made by this Alabama wide receiver core against this Ole Miss secondary. Yeah, Drew, I, I agree with you on that. And I keep kind of circling back to, to what you alluded to a second ago and, and really have done this all week long, that matchup of the interior of Alabama's defensive yes. line. So guard, center, guard and then kind of the tackles and the ends. And, you know, if Ole Miss tries to bring pressure up the middle with the linebackers as well. But to me, that's a double-edged sword. So, so yeah, you're trying to kind of control the running game. And you're trying to put some pressure on Jalen Hurts. But the thing that I believe has got to go with that is some outside containment. Because if Jalen Hurts mm. is able to get outside the pocket, if he's able to escape pressure up the middle and get to the outside and then can do one of two things, it, you know, can, can open things up and run it and hurt you with his legs, or – and this is the area to me that's the biggest concern for Ole Miss. Have kind of an effective underneath passing game, where whether it's you know OJ Howard, you know finding a soft spot in, in a little bit of a zone, you know from the tight end spot. If it's Ridley or Stewart, with more kind of underneath type crossing routes where they catch and run after the catch, or even a back that releases out of the backfield. I would say that Ole Miss is maybe the the biggest Achilles heel in their secondary, or excuse mm-hmm. me, in their defense would be the combination of the secondary play and the linebacker play, uh, which, by the way, is what, two-thirds of your defense? So right. if Ole Miss is able to pressure up the middle and contain, then I think they've got a chance to be pretty successful against a freshman quarterback to make a true freshman quarterback thing his first road start in what will be the biggest crowd that Walt Hemingway Stadium has ever had after the expansion. If they lose containment, let's say they get pressure up the middle and he's still able to get to the outside and buy a little extra time, then I think that's a situation that could cause some serious problems for Ole Miss defensively. Do you think uh, if Alabama tries to move the pocket, because uh, Jalen really operated from the pocket most of last week, uh, they did move him around a little bit against USC. Do you think that they could have some success against Ole Miss? Though I know Marquise Haynes is very fast. 
Uh, and we've already sure. talked about how athletic they are. But do you think uh, – do you expect Alabama to try to move the pocket a little bit against this Rebel front? You know, I, I think they're more comfortable with Jalen Hurts moving, throwing the football. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to me, he doesn't look nearly as comfortable at this point in his career, standing in the pocket, surveying a secondary, looking for receivers, going through progressions, you know, all of those things. To me, Jalen Hurts looks more comfortable because of his athleticism, because of his ability to move, and, you know, because of his arm strength. And, and I'm not 100% sold on his arm strength. I know people have just gushed over that so far. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see that in person, you know, before I'm completely on board with, hey, this is a guy that makes every throw and zips it all over the field. But I do think he's really technically sound throwing on the run from the little bit that I've seen uh, from, from mm-hmm. him so far. So i got to believe that Lane Kiffin draws some things up, you know, whether that's bootlegs or naked bootlegs or, you know, just sprints to the right or to the left. You know, to give him a little bit of extra time, especially if Ole Miss is trying to, to take advantage. And to me, that's that's like it makes sense on multiple levels for for Alabama offensively. One, you got a quarterback that looks comfortable throwing the ball on the run, and two, you're concerned about the interior of your offensive line. You know, is maybe the biggest weakness on the offensive side of the ball. And so, if you move it away, either to the right or to the left, from that part. Uh, of the offensive line, you give your your freshman quarterback a little more time to throw. Absolutely. And now to wrap up with you, Richard, and of course uh, your co-host of Super Talk Head to Head uh, with Matt Wyatt uh, from the, the former Mississippi State QB, one of the foremost radio programs in the state of Mississippi, and you work the sidelines for the IMG Sports Network for Ole Miss. Uh, to, to, to close our uh, segment with you, what is your what what do you what do you get in the feel for? What does Ole Miss have to do on offense to win, and then defensively uh, to beat this Alabama team for a third year in a row? Uh, the first thing they've got to do, and, and again, it's kind of what we talked about earlier, is they've got to protect the football. Uh, I mean, you know, and it goes back to a year ago. Okay, I mean, you know, whether you're not whether you're an Ole Miss fan that want to wants to describe five turnovers against Alabama a year ago as forced turnovers. Or you're an Alabama fan that wants to say, "Hey, we gave it away five times." You know, regardless of how you describe it, Alabama was minus five in the turnover category. That's why Ole Miss won the game a year ago. Ole Miss did not turn it over. Alabama gave it away five times. Ole Miss wins on the road. Well, if you tell me going into Saturday that Ole Miss is going to give it away three times and be minus three in the turnover battle, Alabama's probably going to win. But if you tell me that Ole Miss is going to create a couple of turnovers, which they've only done one time so far, a late fumble by Wofford, they've not done a nice, a very good job in takeaway so far this season. But if, let's say Ole Miss creates a couple of turnovers and protects the football, they're going to put some points on the board offensively. They, they, they just are. This offense is, is talented enough at quarterback, at receiver, and is good enough on the offensive line. They're going to score a little bit against anybody. Now, does a little bit mean 17 or does it mean 35? I don't know. We'll get back to you on, on Sunday morning about that. So protect the football, they got a chance. And the other thing by protecting football is you limit Alabama's possession, especially for an offense that's going to play fast. And on the defensive side, you know, I, I guess along the same lines, figure out a way to create a turnover or two. But I, I, think, I think it's make Jalen Hurts uncomfortable. I'm not saying that they've got to go sack him six times in the game. I'm not saying they've got to put pressure on him every single snap. But it's like he needs to kind of hear footsteps and, and feel like, hey, they could get to me. And, you know, the crowd may play a role in that as well. 
uh, you know, you're looking at a crowd that's going to be about 65,000, and I understand that by Alabama or Georgia or LSU standards, that's not very big. This is the first time ever that Vault Hemingway Stadium has been completely bowled in. It's going to be louder than, than the stadium's mm-hmm. ever been before. And, you know, compared to what he was playing in front of in front of in, you know, Texas football, which I know is a big deal, it'll be a much different environment than, than Jalen Hurts has ever seen before. So I think if they can make him uncomfortable, then they got a chance. Absolutely. I, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup, and it'll be as good of an offensive group as Alabama plays all year, and as I've said, wide receiver-wise especially. Uh, and then this defensive line, Alabama's going to have to you know, find a way to sustain some drives and tire out this uh, first group because it's a very talented group from end to end uh, and inside, as you talked about, with their defensive tackles and their rotation. Uh, but it's going to be – I'm really looking forward to it, Richard. And we thank you tonight for giving us a few minutes hey, of your Drew, time. You're going to be very busy. Sure. Let me ask you something. Is Nick Saban wound too tight for this one? You know, two well, years in know. a row, and every once in a while you see him spend a ton of time focusing on, you know, got to get that. Even though he doesn't play into the uh, the revenge or psychology stuff, or whatever he said earlier this week, Ole Miss seems yeah. to be in his head a little bit. I don't think that's Nick Saban at his best. I think Nick Saban, when he's cold and calculated – and, you know, is not worried about anything except the process and the next play, that's when he's at his best. But I wonder if it's a little bit different for him this week. Well, Richard, I was going to mention uh, that I think the way the only way Alabama or the, the best way Alabama is going to win this game, I think the last two years when they've played against Ole Miss, they've been tight. Uh, I didn't. I thought they were really conservative in the game plan with an inexperienced, even though he's a fifth-year senior quarterback in Blake Sims. They really felt like they. I don't think they wanted to put the game in his hands, uh, and uh, they did not. And uh, at least until late, and Blake had a pretty good drive going. But as we know, OJ Howard didn't high point the ball. Great play by Ole Miss uh, to turn away Alabama and to win that game. Uh, but then last year we saw the five turnovers. I think Alabama was too focused on revenge and was uh, and almost too emotional in the game. Uh, but you're right. The way Alabama is going to win this game is if they come out with a game plan and let it rip like they did against in 2011 in the rematch against LSU uh, where they let the quarterback play. I know Jalen Hurts is just a freshman, uh, but with the, the strength of this offense for Alabama is that wide receiver group. It's very deep and very talented. They'll get Cameron Sims back this week as well. The only way they're going to win is they need to put the ball in Jalen Hurts' hands, let him make some plays with his legs early. But they really they got to get these wide receivers involved because this team is not a great running football team right now. They don't have a dominant tailback. You can't have a conservative game plan if you're going to win in Oxford, Mississippi, Saturday. If they come out and let it rip and are aggressive on both sides of the ball, I think they're going to win this game against the Rebels. But if they come out tight and they're conservative in their approach early and not letting Jalen Hurts get rolling – I think uh, you could see Ole Miss win three in a row, no doubt. But I do think you, you bring up a great point. Alabama needs to play loose and uh, let it, and just uh, and, and play their best game of the year to beat the Rebels. Should be fun on Saturday. It really should. And uh, Richard, we really appreciate your time, man. And let everybody know again about your radio program. And of course, they'll be able to hear you uh, via the Ole Miss Radio Sports Network on the sidelines. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. Um, we've got what two hour pregame show and then full day of football um, and then head to heads on, on super talk Mississippi and available online at supertalk.fm. Uh, life's good though. Life's good. This is a fun time of the year, boys. It really is. It's going to be a fun day of college football and 
the biggest game of the day in the SEC, Ole Miss and Alabama. And as you said, the biggest crowd in the history of Ole Miss football and should be a loud and raucous environment. Really thank you, Richard. Have a good night. And our BAMS radio listeners appreciate your thoughts. All right. See you, Drew. Thank you, Richard. Uh, some very interesting comments there, uh, Thomas, and I truly believe that. I was thinking about that near the end of our uh, segment with Richard Cross. Uh, Alabama, they have got to uh, let it rip. Uh, they, ha- they, they, ha- they did so against Auburn in getting the rematch of the kick six. I thought Nick Saban, uh, the year before, uh, he, he went too conservative, did not let the senior quarterback and A.J. McCarron win that game on the road, which came back to bite Alabama with uh, – that unbelievable ending, but the year, the next year, even though Blake Sims threw some interceptions, he let the, he let him continue to attack Auburn, and they wore Auburn down. Alabama, despite having a freshman quarterback, is going to have to be aggressive Saturday. Uh, certainly, you know Alabama is not going to be able to just come in and play conservative. The, I, I am not of the opinion that Ole Miss is only going to score thirteen points. I right. think if if you told me that. Alabama's defense was so good as to hold the Ole Miss offense to 13. Alabama's going to win by four or five touchdowns. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's blowout central at that point. Right. I, I mean, I think that Alabama, it's, it's going to feel, I could see it absolutely feeling a lot like the Clemson National Championship game, where it's going to be a score fest. I mean, Alabama's defense is great. I take nothing away from the Alabama defense. It is uh, and Alabama. If you put the two rosters next to each other, Alabama's more talented. Alabama's more talented pretty much everywhere, with the notable exception of Chad Kelly at quarterback. But Ole Miss has tempo, and tempo, as we saw in the first half of the Florida State game, is the great equalizer. Now, can Jeremy Pruitt streamline the defense to where kids are not as confused? Because at the end of the day, what really killed Florida State in the first half of that Ole Miss game was. Ole Miss got a little spark, and then Florida State couldn't get set quick enough, and then Evan Ingram or someone else was busting a coverage, and it's huge chunk plays. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to happen for Alabama. I, I like to think that, as you and Fish said earlier in the show, that Jeremy Pruitt will be able to simplify things, and the, the young men for the Crimson Tide will be able to play fast and play successful football. But tempo is... It's just it's something that it's really hard to scheme against. I mean, yeah, you can simplify to a certain extent, but you can't you can't radically change what you're doing as a defense. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And I think it's going to be one of those games where I think I said on your show, there are going to be some chewed on fingernails by the well, end of, by the end of this one. I said 34-17. William said 38-13. I guess we're fixing to get your pick, but I will say this, too. I do think this Alabama defense is better equipped to defend Ole Miss now than they have been the last two years. That's why guys have lost 15 to 20 pounds to get faster. And Jeremy Pruitt, if you look at his history, he has defended these kind of offenses very, very well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it, it, again, it bodes well. But Drew, before we get out of here, I'm actually I'm much closer. I've got it 31-27, I believe. Oh, so you think it's coming down to the very end of the fourth quarter? Uh, yeah. I mean, now I absolutely grant that there could be something like a Florida State where Florida State just wears the Ole Miss defense down. But I, I think at home, it's going to be a game that's back and forth and. Uh, 
everyone's going to be nervous. I think Alabama is going to find a way to win, though. There's just too much talent for Ole Miss to beat Alabama in a straight-up fight, if you ask me. Well, and I just, you know, to to me, Alabama is going to give up some plays. The biggest thing, Thomas, is Alabama has to play well in the red zone. Yeah. They have to they have because I know Ole Miss is going to make some plays. I mean, Chad, Chad Kelly's a talented guy, going to probably be a high draft pick in the NFL. Even without DK Metcalf, they've got Stringfellow, they've got Adebayo, uh, they've got Van Jefferson. Uh, you know, you go down the list of these. Uh, Marcus Lodge, we've talked about it. Markel Pack, they still have a lot of good wide receivers, uh, and AJ Brown with this Ole Miss group. But uh, they, you're going to have to make them kick some field goals and do a nice job and not give up the touchdown. And the big, and you already talked about it, you can't give up the big chunk plays to Evan Ingram down the middle or to these wide receivers. And what, what's been encouraging thus far is we haven't seen a lot of busts from Alabama. You're absolutely right. And, again, I, I think that Alabama's got more talent. I'm just really nervous about the tempo. I'm not taking anything away from Jeremy Pruitt. I'm not taking anything away from what has seemed to be an excellent defense. You know, the ingredients are there. The ingredients are there for Alabama to come out and hold Ole Miss to 17 points. They are there. But we have yet to see those ingredients coalesce and actually stop a tempo-based offense. If it happens this Saturday, I will be the first guy to say, well, (laughs) I thought this was going to be a more competitive game. Take my helping of Crow and move on. But until I see it, I'm going to be a little nervous. But, again, very valid reasons behind these other picks that I can't really argue with. Absolutely. And it's been a quick two hours of uh, of uh, the BAMS radio tonight uh, previewing this Ole Miss game. We want to thank our co-host, uh, William Barger, for being with us for the first hour. And then great guest uh, for, uh, from the Ole Miss perspective. The last minute we were able to get David Johnson of the 24-7 Sports Network, rebels247.com. And then uh, Richard Cross uh, from the H2H, uh, the head-to-head Sports Talk Mississippi, uh, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. with uh, former Mississippi State quarterback Matt Wyatt. And you'll also be able to hear Richard as the sideline reporter for the IMG Sports Radio Network for Ole Miss. We want to thank everyone for listening, especially Play Like a Champion. I know he was enjoying it tonight. Also, Mike Knowles down in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. But we really appreciate everybody uh, from uh, for taking a part in the program. We hope you enjoyed BAMS Radio. And we will be back next Thursday night to rehash this game and look ahead to Kent State and Kentucky as Alabama re- reaches the softer part of their schedule but a huge challenge on Saturday afternoon against the Ole Miss Rebels. Roll Tide and good night, everyone. I'm going through the Armist Thomas Watt. When your customers call, the last thing you want them to hear is this. Please hold. Your call is important to us. Introducing OneTalk from Verizon. Now your desk phone and smartphone can work together on one number so customers can find you wherever work takes you. And you can put your customers first, not on hold. Click the banner to learn more about OneTalk and see why more small businesses choose Verizon. Because in business, better matters. OneTalk-capable desk phone must be purchased from Verizon to support some of these features. Results based on third-party study. When I listen to Audible, I'm not flying to my third sales meeting this month. I'm on a romantic date with my vampire boyfriend, Pierre. That pale skin, those dark, mysterious eyes, and those pointy teeth. Take me away, Pierre. Ma'am. I want to become queen of the night. Ma'am. Something to drink? Water, please. 
Go to audible.com slash start trial and your first download is free. Audible, stories that surround you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.